Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well met, fellow adventurers. Once again, we are playing as Sir Crokington. And we are taking part in Proving Grounds 5. But previously, we had finally... We have finally removed Trailtox Mind Control. And he is and he is joined up with us to fight against the dragon. Or at least unless the dragon has really really got some sinister scheme going. But I'm pretty sure that's what happens because that's what the eye's supposed to do. Anyway, it looks like he has a plan. And he's just asked for the eye to help with the plan in some way. I don't know, maybe he could boost its range or figure out some way to copy it. Anyway, this chapter, this scenario is called The Village of Shadow and we shall begin. A recap of, of, of how the previous scenario ended. We've done enough to arouse the beast's curiosity, says Windle, looking sideways at Trailtock. You realise, with growing horror, the thin shadow that just retreated into the portal was Moraxa himself. His best laid plans are still afoot, though he's been dealt a serious blow with the loss of his most potent minion. Trelltock returns Windle's gaze with a glare, but the expression quickly softens into a wide smile. Most potent? High praise indeed, he says. Through Edwava no longer see you as one of you see me as one of his subjects. You need not see me as a friend, Ludnir, that I will not ask. But for the sake of the world that lies before us, let all of that keep. For now. Hmm, I wonder. Now, I mean, the way he goes on, it doesn't look like it's just... He was perfectly decent, and then Moraxa got to him. Looks like there was just a tiny little seed. Just a teeny little seed of darkness from Moraxa to, to take hold of, which he, he needed back then. Now, not so much. He's got much better at the mind control. Yeah, it's just some, something... There was something between them before... The Great Betrayal... And the Sundering of the League of Five. But I guess... guess we'll never know. Because this is the sort of thing that... You kind of bring up. It's... Sort of only between league members, as it should probably stay. There's no time for any of this, says Helene, glancing over at you. 
and then back at Trailtock and Windle. A hundred or more ogres and stalkers come our way next if we linger. Without question, agrees Windle, the next move in this game must be ours, and it must be made with haste. And let it begin with this, says Trailtock, turning to you with his upturned hand outstretched. Give me the eye. And now the adventure continues. Unnerved by Trailtock's sudden and bold request, you quickly withdraw the eye and assume a defensive stance. He draws back in hand, his hand, and you gasp in horror as the shadow cast by his arm swiftly extends and takes hold of the large emerald, wrenching it from your grasp. The shadow begins to rapidly withdraw, with the eye of Agnor, with Agnor nestled in the midst of his gloom. So the question is, do I trust Trailtalk? I don't think he's mind-controlled, but there could be a little bit of residual mind-control left behind, or who knows, who knows. So, anyway, random.org, tell me, shall I trust Trail Talk? Alright, it's number one. I don't trust Trail Talk yet, so I'm going to use Shadow Magic. Succeeded. 64 experience to Shadow Magic. You call upon your Master of Shadow Magic, and a pair... And a pair of shadowy arms extend from the cellar wall on your white and sliver forward, taking hold of the eyes it is drawn towards Trailtalk. Trailtalk glares as he intensifies his efforts, but, the, but your command of shadows proves to be a match for his own formidable powers. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm a match for Trailtalk? Or at least... A uh, very much exhausted trail talk. Because let's face it, he's been doing all sorts of stuff. Very much exhausted and completely confuzzled trail talk. Yeah, so I'm a match for him in this state. I assume if he had time to, you know, get his get his head sorted out, he could probably totally whoop me. Because after all, he has centuries of experience. The eye reverses course, and is deposited into your outstretched hand by the shadows you summoned. The eye of Agnar suddenly shatters into four fragments of equal size that floor, falls to the shell of old bugger. Each of the emerald shards continues to grow, to glow faintly. Trailtock stoops and picks up the pieces of the eye and hands one and hands one to each of you. I now, rather than the full Eye of Agnor, have just a fragment of it. I guess that's probably good for some lesser mind control. It wouldn't work for anything of Trailtalk's intensity, but Maraxa probably doesn't do that. Maraxa's probably only really gone really full-on deep multiple layered mind control for travel talk for most of the people prob probably a just, a just a shard would be enough or at least we hope so let's have a look at it this is a small fragment of the fabled eye of Agmar it is a powerful artifact with the ability to dispel 
even the most potent mind-altering magic. And its item number is 1203. There. Now we're all armed, he says, casting a sideways glance at Windle. They're obviously less powerful than the OLI, but it's now quite unlikely the whole eye should fall into undesirable hands. Okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, if we go up, if we're splitting up, which I presume we are, because there are many schemes to unravel. Yeah, it means that if one of us gets caught, the other three can just reunite with most of the eye and un-zoop back, get whoever's caught, undo their mind control, put the eye back together again. I, I hope it can be put back together again. That's good. We definitely want to definitely don't want to lose the whole eye because then Raxa could just mind control whoever he wants and take over the world alright despite the initial horror invoked by a Twelltrop's brash action you immediately realise the benefit of breaking the eye into shards it will now be difficult for the enemy to take hold of the artefact and each of you will have the ability to wield its power, even though its potency has been reduced. The eye will likely prove use, useful against the dragon's minions, says Windle. Isquidar and Prithen, probably primarily amongst them, not primarily because they're our friends and we really want to get them back. But secondly, because they're really skilled and experienced warriors who we do not want the dragon to have the use of. But the serpent itself is not threatened by it. Nevertheless, it is wise to divide it. Trotok smirks as he stows away his shard of the eye. Now, you could have just told us you were doing that. That I wouldn't have been all worried. But... Yeah, I guess, I guess you're just not used to explaining yourself. Because you could just order anyone to do anything for 600 years. Charltock replies to Windows comment with a suggestion directed at his one-time comrade. It's a bold suggestion the League of Five was more directly responsible for turning Mora. Maraxa into something far more sinister than any mere dragon could ever aspire to. It was not by design, mind you, says Trelltock, meeting Windle's hard gaze with a cold stare. We were all driven by what we felt was the proper course, but we served to introduce desperation to his brewing malevolence. It's a desperation that caused him to seek out other paths, seek out other allies. From places far removed from the lonely cave, where he watched his only kin gasp their dying breath, breaths at the feet, feet of their human slayers. You provide excuses for the beast, growls Helene, her gaze frozen on Trotok. His assessment is valid, says Windle, whose words seem to startle Helene. He's about to speak again, or Trotok suddenly continues. You do not know the dragon as I do, says Trotok finally. 
nor what I dare say you would ever wish to. He is no longer a creature only of this world, I am certain. There is power and ambition in beyond what any being of this world could ever aspire to. His wickedness transcends the lust for revenge he's harboured these long centuries. The demon thrives within him. There can be no doubt. And of course, this demon is Ichthyon, the big bad of absolutely everything. A lengthy silence follows Trelltock's words as the weight of what he has said settles uneasily on all present. You have not before considered the possibility that Trelltock has brought to light, but the, the very idea it might prove true is terrifying. Windle sighs, if his own long-standing fears have at last be confirmed. Elaine mutters something. Trelltock says, It may be possible to use the Iron Maraxum himself, and lessen or remove the hold that some greater entity may have on him. At the very least, making him a somewhat less fearsome foe. It does nothing to change our goal, says Windle. Whether or not a greater power has a hand in this affair must not sway our course. We may attempt to use the eye against Moraxa. We certainly can't lay our hopes on it. Trotok and Helene both nod. It's creed that a showdown with Morax himself is not only likely, but perhaps the only possible outcome to a series of events that were set into motion six centuries ago. Windu is quick to say that he fears such a confrontation, but not for all the more immediate we reasons. The four of us standing here are the best and perhaps only hope the world has of winning of this terror, he says gravely. Should a confrontation with the dragon turn tragic, what hope is there for those who remain following our passing? It is a confrontation we must seek out on our own terms. We must avail ourselves of every advantage we can. We cannot play into his wicked game. Still so haughty, remarks Trelltock, avoiding Windle's burning glance. There will always be others, my old friend. You can't possibly think we are the last bastion of hope across the entire breadth of humanity, can you? The best chance lies here and now with us, that is true. But to say it is the only chance is the very thinking that begets rash judgments and irrevocable folly. Perhaps you grow tired of the game, dear, but please recall that if only just we discovered it. Wendell does his best to ignore Trelltor's comment and says the fight must now be taken to Muraxa. Even though it's a course the dragon must surely expect. Helene wastes her hand and a bright light fills her cellar, chasing much of the gloom into the far corners. Far into the corners, Trailtalk nods, apparently approving of her tactic, and then speaks. Alright, she's just making it so bright, there are no shadows. You and I will be his first, Mark, says Trailtalk, his eyes fixed on Windle. It's for that reason we must divide ourselves, and for the we and for the and the reason I shattered their eye. There were two important tasks at hand. 
and calling upon the beast to see that he is that he still resides in his abode shall be mine. You ask Trelltock what the other important task is. But it is Wundle who answers. Helene and I will play a visit to Talonus and sip into the citadel. It's difficult to tell, but I feel we may have already forced Wax's hand. We do not need a crown of shadow perched on the head of our beloved king before this business reaches its end. Sir Crokington must go with me to Perth Stances, Trelltock resolutely. That is the beast's haunt, and the place where we will likely have to confront him. We dare not move against him without the two of you, but we will discover for ourselves what may await us there. Trelltock explains, mostly for your benefit, that Perthstan is a village in the midst of a forest known as Bro- Brotherwood. Brotherwood, in the northwest corner of the kingdom. It is there you learn. Namraxa has long occupied an ancient temple on the edge of a bog known as Torbar Quag. The village is remote. Remote enough not to attract attention, explained Trelltock, and its citizenry is cleverly disguised to appear as they did when they were still among the living six hundred years ago. Rax's insidious powers long ago took hold of the place, and his habits are now, and perhaps forever, his faithful servants. One or one of his more powerful ties to the realm of man. The old haunt is alive again, mutters Windle. A fool is all I have been to this point. How could I have ignored it? It's the perfect setting for a silent invasion. One that is likely already afoot. Perhaps has been for years. A delay may already have been too great, Trailtop shakes his head. Was it you, Nindle? Or Master Neareth used to be fond of saying, It's never too late, regardless of who it was. There is truth in that sentiment, but we dare not tarry. We shall leave at once. Windle steps forward and initiates a shoulder cross with you. The moment he withdraws his hand, Helene moves over and follows suit. I wish you luck as well, says Windle, turning to Trelltock. The latter nods, but he makes no audible attempt to return the settlement. Take care, Sir Crokington, says Helene. I'm certain we'll be seeing each other quite soon. When our task is complete, we will come to Perth Stars' window. I mind, bo- mind you, both of you, all of you, that whatever occurs, Iskritar and Prithon can no longer be seen as, our, as allies. They are tools of the dragon, and will be used against us in whatever cruel fashion, fashion best fits his ends. They are also deadly foes, from whom I will expect, and will give no quarter. I will advise the west of you to do the stain. The crackle of energy fills the cellar, as two portals open simultaneously. Wendell and Helene step forward. Step towards the swirling vortex on the right, while you and Trelltock move to the one on the left. Without further words... And with very little idea of what lies in store for you beyond the cellar of the Candle Glow Inn, you follow Trailtock to the portal. 
everything goes black. Your head swims as you tumble through the impenetrable darkness within the portal. You cannot seal Trail Talk, but just when your nerves begin to assail your reason, you're suddenly standing on solid ground in the tall grass of of a wide field, the edge of a pine forest, beneath a dull grey afternoon sigh. With a faint crackle, the portal behind you closes. Brotherwood says, says Troutok, standing at your side, his hands mentioning, his hand motioning to the forest in front of you. Through here lies Purfstan. There is a road through it, just over there that we'll take. But first, some necessary preparations. Troutok closes his eyes and waves both of his hands in small circular motions. A pair of shadows slip off a nearby tree and swarm about about the two of you. In only a few seconds, you've been completely enveloped by the withering gloom. The transformation has taken place is remarkable. While your faces remain physically unchanged, the shadows that now conspicuously lie do much to make them unrecognisable. Your attire has also changed. The gloom that now cloaks you has served to disguise your garb in the likeness of a commoner's attire. And also I look human again. Well, Sir Grogenton looks human again. Even the dragon's gaze won't pierce these shadows, says Trailtop confidently. Would I look like any of like any of his other minions who inhabit the village. The trick will be not to announce our true identities in some other unseen way. Too much caution on our part will prove our undoing. You ask Trotrock how long the disguises will remain, pla- remain in place, as you are fearful of what might be their sudden and perhaps untimely departure. Long enough, he answers, as you start along the overgrown wood leading towards Perstan. We'll soon reveal ourselves, but we'll be on our own terms, at a time of our choosing. A few scattered ramshackle wooden buildings in the overgrown field, the side of the world, signal your arrival on the outskirts of Perstan. You continue cautiously along the road, hopeful your newly gone Don disguises will keep you safe from unwanted attention. Disguises are put to their first test as you turn a sharp corner in the road. The two men, clad in leather armour, apparently members of the village militia, are standing guard in the middle of the lane. Upon seeing you step forward, smiling, they regard you too with critical, almost piercing scares. Your heart skips a beat, suddenly the flesh on both their faces melts away, revealing decayed, worm-weeding skin stretched tightly over sunken, inanimated continents. As quickly as the horrific sight appeared, it vanishes, leaving you once again facing the smiling men. I haven't seen you two up this way before, says one of the men, eyeing you curiously. What have you got to say for your business up in these parts? Icy fingers probe the edge of your psyche, and you immediately realise the two men are attempting to read your thoughts. 
Trailshock sounds quietly at your side, apparently not wishing to intervene. Further away, roused the already heightened suspicions, picking a number. Bonus 69. 19 from Diplomacy, 10 from Luck, 10 from, 10 from Mind, 20 from Spirit, 10 from Aura, pick now. 84. 28 Experience to General. Your bravo works. The guards... The guards step aside and allow the two of you to continue towards the village. Can't be too careful in these parts, smiles one of them as you move paths. No hard feelings, I hope. Welcome to Pwifstan. Behind those friendly those friendly faces lies the sinister project product of six centuries of the dragon's cruel domination, says Trailtok as the two of you move along the road towards the heart of the village. None who dwell here are truly human any longer, Sir Cockington. They are all shadow minions, faithful servants of Moraxa, even if unwillingly so. We are in great danger here if our identities are discovered, for it's doubtful I need to have informed you of that. And there's a law book link for shadow minions. Shadow minion. Once human, these creatures are now shadowy waifs in human guise that sh- serve under the shadow dragon Moraxa. They are firmly under Moraxa's control and beyond recall. Screw hmm. us how Trail Talk maintained his core self even under all that mind control but these people didn't I presume it's a different sort of mind control they were going for with Trailtrock you because you want him to use shadow magic and command and scheme and lead you had to you had to maintain a lot of his higher cognitive functions, which means you couldn't just stomp his will out. You couldn't just squish his soul and tear it out. Had to keep it there, just locked up tight. But with these regular minions, just take the soul, just throw it away. Maybe it goes somewhere else. Well, I hope it does. I assume it's something like that. That that's an assumption. That all just trail talks just mightier. And beyond recall, well, we haven't really tried. But we can't. We if we draw, we can't really try because if we draw out the eye of Agmar, Anganor, we will immediately be set upon by all of them. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
and they probably wouldn't even stay still long enough for us to use, especially since we've only got a quarter strength I have Agnemar. But maybe. Maybe? Maybe they're not beyond recall, we're just not trying. But, I mean, law book entry says so, so we're just going to have to. We're just going to have to go along with it. The village of Perfstein is a site that invokes both pity and a lingering sense of dread. The buildings and dwellings that make up the heart of the settlement long ago fell into ruin and disrepair, but assistance moving through the broad thoroughfare that runs through the centre of the town appears to take little notice. Can you get them to fix it? They are as dead as this village is and has been these long centuries, says Treltok, as the two of you move along the edge of the road towards a low stone building. This place and these people are only shadows of what of what once was. I'm afraid it's the true power of the magic we wield that is on display here. That magic being shadow magic, of course. It is ruinous, Sir Crokington. Utterly ruinous. As you draw near to the crumbling stone building, you can see thin trails of smoke rising through the largely collapsed roof. The festive sound of a mandolin soars out of the open doorway, doing its best to temper the gloom that hangs heavily all over, over all that you surveyed. We'll stop in here, says Treltok, nodding in the direction of what is obviously a tavern. I'll go in, in first, and you follow behind, but not on my back. You enter the tavern with Troutok, careful to allow a small group of villagers to step in, to step between you as you pass over the threshold, hoping that a slight separation will help buy you a normalcy among the patrons. Yeah. Bloody convenient that people are coming in and out often enough for that to be often enough that that could actually work without me just being stuck waiting outside the tavern for an hour or two. The tavern's main room is crowded and noisy. On your right, before a boring fire, sits a stout, bearded man strumming on a mandolin. A dozen patrons seated around the hearth join him in a jovial ballad that's unknown to you. Well, <laughs> hmm. Well, it could just be one of the ones that's lost to time. You've taken less than a dozen steps across the room when your eyes are drawn to a slender, gaunt-faced, hooded man sitting alone at the corner of the table. The man's eyes are fixed on you. And after only a few moments, he begins wise. He rises and begins moving in your direction. A throng of patrons pass in front of you, temporarily obscuring your view of the man. When they have passed by, you are shocked to discover he is no longer anywhere to be seen. Hmm. Is this Nereth again? Could be Nereth. Because he's always in disguise. 
well, except that couple, except those one time. But he's, the overwhelming majority of the time, he's in disguise. A disguise, a disguise aided by the fact that the shadows kind of like him. Is so much as shadows can like anyone. Suddenly, someone nudges your elbow, and you turn to find Trailshock standing at your side, handing you a flag and a frothing ale. Few better ways to fit in, he remarks, as he sips from his own flagon. I've seen what I came in to see, for good or ill. When we've had, had our drink, we'll go. When you finish your ale, Trailtalk motions towards the door, and the two of you slowly make your way out of the tavern. Once outside, you move along the thoroughfare to the west, and Trailtalk speaks to you in an earnest but hushed tone. I don't suppose you've ever known a dragon to play the mandolin, he says, glancing at you to gorge your reaction. As the meaning of the words sink in, you're filled with horror of the realisation. The bearded Madeline player was none other than Moraxa himself. Hmm, okay, that explains why they have actual wheel, wheel beer there. Because of course the shadow minions don't need it, because they're dead. So presumably the whole pub is kept intact and keeps up the whole illusion of having wheel people visiting. Just so Moraxa can stop by. I wish to see if the beast was still home, he says, his tone grave. The mistal, the drunkard, the lone wider, the woodsman, the friendly face on the street. Those are some of his favourite guises. He actually envies humanity, you know. It's perhaps one of the greatest reasons he hates it so. Yeah, well, we do have other members of our species still alive, and he's probably really envious of that. Because he's really, really lonely. Although he probably never admitted. A deep sense of dread rose up within you as a low, rasping voice echoes in your head. The wide-eyed look on Trezog's face immediately confirms he is also hearing it. A wayward son and a fresh fool, hisses your voice, which you realise is the voice of Moraxa himself. You have traded glory and eternity for what and misery. I have no further use for you. Either of you. The voice fades, but its absence does little to improve your situation. The sense of dread remains, and you turn around, and your eyes take in the scene on the thoroughfare behind you. The source of the fear is made plain. A mob of at least a hundred villagers is gathered in the middle of the thoroughfare. Oh, look, look, now Morax is throwing all his toys away. What's he going to do then? If we kill the villagers, he's going to have no one to... going to have no one to watch him do his strumming. The cold glance... 
gaze of every last man and woman is fixed on you in Trail Talk. Well, at least, at least there's no children too, because that would be hella dark. Each of the villages is holding some sort of weapon. Foremost among, amongst, foremost of the large group is the bearded man, whom Trailtok identified as Moraxa, his mandolin now slung over his shoulder, and his face adorned with a disarming and jovial grin. Bring me only their heads. Bring me only their heads, he says, his smiling direct contrast with the stark wickedness of these words. They're worth no more than that. The bearded man bows and steps back into the crowd as the mob begins to advance along the thoroughfare, shouting wildly and waving their weapons in the air. Trailtalk glances at you, curses under his breath and draws his sword. What happens next takes you utterly by surprise. A broad pool of shadow swiftly forms at Trailtalk's feet and, swift and rapidly envelops him. He cries out in surprise as he is rapidly consumed by the dense gloom. Within just moments the shadows retreated, leaving no trace of Trailtalk behind. In the wake of the strange attack on Trailtalk, you feel somehow drained. But your current Neville Reserve has been reduced to five. And I'll just check. Yep, yep, there it is on the stat screen. It's five. With no time to dwell on Trailtalk's fate, your mind races as your eyes fall once again upon the mob of villagers now advancing upon you along the thoroughfare. You turn and retreat along the road to the west. But the villagers give trace, and you soon find yourself at a spot where a wide stone bridge spans a washing stream. Much to dismay, a second mob of villagers is advancing on you from the opposite side of the bridge. Realising that flight is impossible, you stalwartly hold your ground, muttering a quick prayer under your breath. As the first few members of the vicious mob closes in. A pair of axe-wielding villagers quickly draw up to you, their sharpened blades cutting their air in a wide arc before them. You dodge their initial strikes and quickly mount a counterattack. Now and again, though only for a fleeting moment, the faces of your enemies seem to melt away, giving you a glimpse of the rotting horrors that lurk just beneath the surface of the thin human shells. It's axe-wielding villagers, and all of these are shadow minions. The two villagers swipe out at you with their axes. Your head feels as if it's about to explode, as your mind is assailed by the enemy's potent psionic attack for eight damage. Alright, I keep fighting. Another psionic attack for some damage and it is slain 9 xp you step back, step back from the corpse of the slain shadow minions and immediately assume a combat ready stance now considering all that's happened with with, with all of Marax's minions I can't be sure they're going to be permanently dead 
With scarcely a moment to catch your breath, you once again find yourself confronted by more of the fiendish village mob. The village blacksmith, a hulking, broad-shouldered man, whose large hands tightly grip the haft of a weighty hammer, pushes his way past several villagers and strides directly up to you, eager to put down the invader that his master had sentenced to death. Now and again, through only for a fleeting moment, the face of your enemy seems to melt away, giving you a glimpse of the watting horror that lurks just beneath the surface of the thin human shell. It's a hulking blacksmith. The shadow minion swiftly and viciously attacks, presumably with a very large hammer. Alright, bonk, bonk, bonky me. Your head feels it's about to explode as your mind is assailed by the enemy's potent sonic attack for 10 damage. I keep stabbing and it is slain. 9 XP. You step back from the corpse of the slain shadow minion and immediately assume a combat ready stance. With scarcely a moment to catch your breath, you once again find yourself confronted by more of the fiendish village mob. A young man wielding a sword rushes up from behind and nearly takes your and nearly takes nearly splits you in two with a deadly sweep of his weapon. You nimbly and luckily dodge the blow and immediately counter with your own attack. Down again. For only for a fleeting moment, the face of your enemy seems to melt away, giving you a glimpse of the rotting horror that lurks just beneath the surface of the thin human shell. This is a sword-wielding villager. Well, that's what it looks like, but obviously it's a shadow minion. He's done another sonic attack for 3 damage, and then for 11 damage, but no matter, it is now slain. 9 XP. You step back from the corpse of the slain shadow minion, and immediately assume a combat-ready stance. With scarcely a moment to catch your breath, you once again find yourself confronted by more of the fiendish village mob. A trio of armed villagers charge along the thoroughfare and quickly engage you. You step back as you fend off a frenzied series of blows from their crude array of weapons. Now and again, though only for a fleeting moment, the faces of your enemies seem to melt away giving you a glimpse of the watting horrors that lurk just beneath the surface of the thin human shells. Three armed villagers. The three villagers strike out at you with a variety of crude weaponry. And I stab them. And they are now slain. 9 XP. You step back from the corpses of the slain shadow minions and immediately assume a combat-ready stance. With scarcely a moment to catch your breath, you once again find yourself confronted by more of the fiendish village mob. Four members of the village militia advance on you across the stone bridge. Two of the men wield spears, and the other two brandish short swords. You plant your feet and prepare to meet their advance, now and again. Though only for a fleeting moment, the faces of your enemies seem to melt away giving you a glimpse of the rotting horrors that lurk just beneath the surface of the thin 
human shells for village militias. Well, they look like village militias. The four members of the militia attack you with spears and swords. And I stab them. And they all slain now. 10 XP. You step back from the corpse of the slain shadow minions and immediately assume a combat ready stance. With scarcely a moment to catch your breath, you once again find yourself confronted by more of the fiendish village mob. Three club wielding villagers scramble out from under the bridge and swiftly mount the bank of the stream and attack. Their assault catches you somewhat off guard somewhat off guard, but you manage to fend off their first few strikes before setting your feet and properly engaging them. Now and again, though only for a fleeting moment, the faces of your enemies seem to melt away, giving you a glimpse of the rotting horrors that lurk just beneath the surface of the thin human shells. Three club-wielding villagers. The trio of villagers attack you with heavy wooden clubs, there's another sonic attack for 5 damage, and they are all slain. Another 9 XP. You step back from the corpse of the slain shadow minions and immediately assume a combat ready stance. With scarcely a moment to catch your breath, you once again find yourself courted by more of the fiendish village mob. A pair of sword wielding villagers charge ahead of the large group that is now advancing upon you in attack. The two men don't appear to be very skilled with, the we- with their weapons, but that fact does, not, does little to lessen the ferocity of their assault. Now and again, though only for a fleeting moment, the faces of your enemies seem to melt away, giving you a glimpse of the rotting horrors that lurk just beneath the surface, the thin human shells. Alright, I'm guessing he was... Wasn't really training these to be an army, which is why they're not so skilled, but just to be a place to play dress up, I guess. A place to do some acting and play human for a bit. Thus, she just had it like a regular village. Maybe he has another village somewhere where he keeps the. Maybe he has another f- place somewhere where he keeps the actual army part, rather than the the rather than the rather than the fun part. Yes, this is the fun part of his empire. It's two sword wielding villagers. Yes, the pair of sword wielding villagers swipe out at you with their blades, and they are slain. 9 XP. You step back from the corpse of the slain minions and immediately assume a combat-ready stance. With scarcely a moment to catch your breath, you once again find yourself confronted by more of the fiendish village mob. A group of six villagers, each wielding a stout wooden cudgel, advance warily on you. As they draw to within melee range, they quickly circle you and attack, striking out at you from all sides with their thick oaken clubs. Now and again, though only for a fleeting moment, the faces of your enemies seem to melt away, 
give you a glimpse of the rotting horrors that lurk just beneath the surface of the thin human shells. It's six cludgel-wielding villagers. Begin combat. Large circle. The large circle of cludgel-wielding villagers strike out and mostly down at you. Another sonic attack for five damage. And I keep stabbing. There's probably a few of them down by now. They're at 29%. And now they are slain. 12 XP. You step back from the corpse of the slain shadow minions. And immediately assume a combat ready stance. With scarcely a moment to catch your breath. You once again find yourself confronted by more of the fiendish village mob. Four villagers, each brandishing a woodman's axe, run up from behind and attack. You turn and engage them, dodging their initial swipes, before mustering a speedy counter-attack. Now and again, though only for a fleeting moment, the faces of your enemies seem to melt away, giving you a glimpse of the rotting horrors that lurk just beneath the surface, the thin human shells. Four axe-wielding villagers. The four axemen hacks at you with their deadly weapons. They do a sonic attack for some damage and they are slain. 9 XP. You step back from the course of the slain shadow minions and immediately assume a combat-ready stance. With scarcely a moment to catch your breath, you once again find yourself confronted by more of the fiendish village mob. A lone swordsman who brandishes his longsword with at least some degree of skill strides up and engages you. The west of the village mob falls back as if they expect this will be the last of them you will face. Now and again, though only for a fleeting moment, the face of your enemy seems to melt away, giving you a glimpse of the rotting horror that lurks just beneath the surface the thin human shell. It's a village swordsman. Alright. The shadow minion swiftly and viciously attacks you. And it is now very nearly, yep, and now it is slain in round 8. 10 XP. You step back from the corpse of the slain shadow minion and immediately assume a combat ready stance. The surviving members of the village mob fall back from the bridge in apparent attempt to regroup. Realising the reprieve is only temporary, you rush across the stone span towards the forest west of the village, not entirely certain about where you're heading, but mindful of the temple that Trailtok made mention of. Suddenly, a now all too, um, too, all too familiar sight greets you, holding your dash along the road. A pair of shadows sliver out from the base of the trees that line the road and form a broad pool of gloom less than five yards in front of you. Two dark shapes rapidly rise out of the puddle of shadow and take form. They are the shapes of Iskritar and Prithran. Oh, you learned shadow magic. Good for you. Bad for me because you're going to try to kill me because of the whole mind control thing. At a matter of moments, the two men have completely risen and are striding before you, 
in the middle of the road, the cold gazes fixed squarely upon you. Alright, time to use that Eye of Agmar fragment. Uh, not yet. Your two former allies say nothing, but instead produce long iron wads, the tips of which are entwined with lightning. Iskritar twirls the wad about in an unnerving display of skill, and steps forward, a cool grin slowly spreading across his face. You step back and draw yourself into a defensive posture, not eager to how to engage your fellow members of the Silver Quest, but also not willing to become a victim of Mrax's newest minions. Suddenly, the crackle of energy fills the air and a swirling black vortex opens on your right. A sense of relief washes over you as Windle and Helene leap from the portal and take up positions on either side of you. They both glance at you before fixing their hardened gazes on Iskritar and Pwithan. This is all for naught. It is all for naught, growls Pwithan, stepping forward so he's shoulder to shoulder with Iskritar. The master has trail talk in his clutches, and even now he is remembering his obedience. Wickedness stirs in the halls of the kings, echoes the voice of window in your mind. It is more than even the shards of the eye can contend with. We must reach the temple, Sir Crokington. It's now only a deafening war, and a loud hiss fills the air as wide arcs of lightning leap from the tips of your foe's iron wads. Windle spreads his fingers as if to summon magic, and Helene does the same. Alright, and that finishes this scenario with 384 experience to general. And in the next scenario will be the Minions of Shadows. But that will have to wait until the next episode because we're now at nearly an hour and so until then farewell fellow adventurers this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.